and welcome to the For We Are Many podcast. My name is Rob. I will be your host and comrade this evening. Um, We uh, may have two more people coming on tonight. Um, Trisha is resetting her laptop. Um, We'll see how that goes. And uh, we have a new guest coming on for the first time. Um, He's just... We always have a little bit of technical issues first time somebody uses Restream. Um, so we're going to be talking about protests in France. We're going to be talking about general strikes in France. Um, we got some videos as well. We're going to be talking about the Communist Party of China's 20th um, Party Congress. Um we're going to be talking about the Teamsters striking at Cisco in Boston. Um, there's been quite a few arrests in that. Um, as I understand it, they have pretty much been holding the line, um, not letting anything enter in or out of the facility. Um, and we'll, we will be talking about, okay, so two days ago in 1859, Um, John Brown and a band of men raided Harper's Ferry. I consider it a very important history lesson. So even though that's not really current events, um, we're going to be talking about John Brown tonight. Hello. Um, hell yeah, James. It probably means you've been a fan for a year, which is funny because it still feels like it's barely been a year since we, uh, started this thing, but it's, uh, coming up on two January 6th will be two years. Um, there was a couple other things we're going to talk about tonight too. Um, but I kind of lost my train of thought. I don't have the sources pulled up in front of me. But I guess a good place to start, um, to be honest, is uh, the protests in France. I've got two videos I'm going to show you. Uh, one's from Al Jazeera, and one is from Gravitas. Um we're not going to watch the whole Gravitas one, but the first one's really short, hence the second one. Hey, I hear you typing. Hell yeah. Oh, cool. Cool, cool. <clears throat> hey, you're here. Do you, got a, do you got a camera or are you just going to do audio only? I'm just going to do audio for now. <clears throat> All right. That's fine. Um... Well, if you want to introduce yourself. Well, I'm, uh, I'm Chris. I'm uh, here representing a affinity group I work with uh, in the Duluth Superior area, Minnesota, Wisconsin area, uh, anti-imperialist action. 
Hell yeah. Uh, all right. All right, is anybody else joining us today? Um, Trisha should be, but she's been having, well, to be honest, she's been having connection issues since she's been where she's at. Um, but the connection isn't the issue tonight. She had to, uh, reboot her laptop. So I will hopefully be able to let her in, in a, in a few minutes. If not, I mean, last week I did it by myself because she wasn't able to be here, but whatever it happens. Okay. <clears throat> um all right so paris check out the size of this crowd um actually before i hit play i'm gonna point out that i have seen so many different media numbers of how many people have been there ranging from tens of thousands to sp specific numbers have been thirty thousand to a hundred thousand that's a big window right um <clears throat> That being said, I wouldn't be surprised if the police, that's where the 300,000 number came from. I wouldn't be surprised if they were trying to downplay the, the size of the event. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'll shut up and play the video. <laughs> there was violence as some protesters fought with police in Paris during what had otherwise been a peaceful demonstration. Thousands of people had turned out to express their anger about inflation, climate change, and the French government's planned pension reforms. We're together against inflation, pension reforms, and public services reforms. It's important people are battling everywhere, even in the oil refineries. I think a lot of people understand that the climate's being destroyed. It's obvious, but it's about convincing those in power. Nobel Literature Prize winner Annie Ernaud took part in the demonstration alongside its organizer, opposition leader Jean-Luc Mélenchon. France's hard left leader Jean-Luc Mélenchon is addressing the crowd on that float behind me. He called for this protest and he will hope that it will help revitalize the left-wing alliance that in recent months has been plagued by rivalry, infighting and scandals. With what we are achieving here today with workers and political organizations, we are creating a new popular front that will one day take power in this country when the time comes. The political left has been somewhat eclipsed in recent weeks by France's trade unions, which have led a number of strikes, including the recent oil refinery walkouts. At a time when pressure on the government is mounting, Mélenchon wants to regain the spotlight and ensure his left-wing alliance remains a significant opposition force. Natasha Butler, Al Jazeera, Paris. Check out the size of that crowd. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, right. So there's kind of multiple things going on that have led up to this uh oil refinery workers have been on strike for a while um wanting wage increases because of inflation the cost of living um the government tried to force them back to work <laughs> so they are calling for a general strike um which officially was supposed to start today, actually, uh, 
I gathered these sources last night, so let me see if I can find something from today. I think it's uh, great that they're practically striking against NATO. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah, and um, it's not. Polls show that they have the support of like at least thirty-five percent of. Uh, the population of France, even though they're waiting in eight hour lines for fucking gas. Um, that shortage is happening because of the, the conflicts between like the EU oil network and the Russian oil network. Is that correct? Um, yes, which I mean, we have, the U.S. we um, has our hands elbow deep in that, just like we do the entire Ukraine crisis, um, which is why it is my suspicion that uh, the U.S. had something to do with the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipelines. It doesn't make sense to me that Russia would blow up their own pipeline. And uh, the, the United States oil companies stand to make a lot of money from the increased demand from Europe. That makes sense. So, and it's like less efficient too. It's farther away. And it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Um <clears throat> I am not really seeing anything. There is a thing that says live now, but it's like. Or less efficient when it comes to I, Ukraine. Uh, France, I imagine. I, it, I said less efficient when it comes to Ukraine. I imagine it's actually. I feel like the, the front is because things are being like shut on and off. Like. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Ridiculous. For the Oh my god, Trisha made it. Yay. I see a black screen. <clears throat> um I okay, so what I was saying about this live video is I don't think that it's actually live. Um but it is at least more recent than the one from yesterday. Oh, hey, I actually see you now. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> and you have audio. This is good. We're moving up in the world. <laughs> right? I can hear you better than last time. It's not fucking great, but it's workable. <laughs> right, right. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and talk live. I don't speak French. I imagine that they're saying bad things about Macron. Macron! <laughs> <laughs> Is that shit? Oh, regardez ça. Yep. Oh, je vous dis pas yep. l'odeur, hein. <laughs> ouais. 
Oh my god. <laughs> this is, I think this is from the, uh, the first day, actually. <clears throat> they got, a uh, they got one with barricade stuff, too. Yeah. Just trash. Right there. But yeah, there was, uh, in Germany, so, hold on, let me Google that. I haven't heard anything about Germany mass protesting. If I've wanted to say that France wasn't the only country. I feel like they're getting more attention because they're, like, Western. And... Yeah, yeah, there has been protests going on in uh, other European countries for the last couple of months. There's ones in like Serbia, Turkey. <clears throat> well, fuck, Greece has been protesting since like 2011. <laughs> right. <clears throat> it's interesting to me that there is nothing. I saw it. That makes it sound like it's a big deal. Most of the stuff I'm seeing is from July and August. That's crazy. Oh, on Germany? Yeah. I mean, there have been protests, though. Uh, climate protests and... Um, energy protests oh great a week ago thousands of far-right alternative for germany supporters marched in berlin to protest the government's energy policy mm. i really don't mm. want to see a rise of the right wing in germany right. last time that happened it went pretty bad right. And we don't have the Soviet Union to bail us out this time. <laughs> anyway, um, so these uh, these protests, actually, this talks, uh, talks about France, Britain, Germany, Hungary, Czech Republic, Belgium. Okay, let's start. Let's start at the bottom and work our ways back up. September 21st in Brussels, Belgium. Thousands took to the streets to protest at soaring energy prices and the cost of living. A similar protest in June drew around 70,000 workers. Czech Republic. Tens of thousands of Czechs protested in Prague on September 28th against the government's handling of soaring energy prices and the country's membership of NATO. The demonstration was organized... What? Somebody's confused here. Time out. The demonstration was organized by far right and fringe groups, including the communists. Yeah, they. I've noticed that they've been framing NATO anti quote unquote globalist stuff, even if it's wing as far right in Europe. <clears throat> Man, the Czechs are confused. Thanks for 
<laughs> around here. <laughs> it's like you're not a real commie if you've got MAGA in front of it. Hate to tell you. Right. Oh my God, dude. Yeah. So, like, we pointed out that patriotic socialism was too much like national socialism, and then they just changed it to MAGA communism. It's got to right. be the CIA, right? It's a Nazi by a different name. Yeah. Please don't fall for far right traps. That's all I have to say. Um, anyway, Hungary. Thousands of Hungarian students and parents <laughs> protested on October 14th and the second major rally in two weeks to support teachers who have been fired for joining the strike action for higher wages. <coughs> yeah. How dare they? Do they not have any workers' protections there for teachers to be able to protest without losing their shit? To be honest, I don't know. Oh, man. Okay, so there's a pilot union. Uh, what just happened? Um, so there's a pilot group that's uh, striking for three days starting yesterday in Germany um, over wages. Um, and then in Britain, this is actually pretty sizable. About a thousand GXO drivers will take strike action over five days from the end of the month over a dispute in pay. Um, warning of disruption to beer deliveries. Watch out, Britain. They're not fucking around. Hundreds right. of workers at the Port of Liverpool are due to take two more weeks of strike action over paying jobs uh, starting October 24th. The Communication and Workers Union, re representing 115,000 Royal Mail workers, held strikes in September and early October and have threatened more strikes after months of failed negotiation over pay. There's a pretty common theme here, isn't there? Like if you're a government employee of some form of public service getting plucked right now? Yeah. And then listen to these numbers right here. More than 300,000 members of Britain's largest nursing union have begun voting over a strike to demand a pay rise. Junior doctors and ambulance workers also plan to ballot over the, uh, pay disputes. And then on top of all that, rail workers have also walked out over pay disputes. They have shit happening if they kissing off all the workers. No, I mean, there might not be a call for a general strike yet for whatever reason, but, like, they're halfway there. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> That's a huge number of workers right there, just in those things you just listed. Come on, general strike. Bring it the fuck on. Jesus, dude, what happened to your arm? Oh, that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, the saute pans at work have, like, this little end where you, like, put it on a hook to hang it up. And uh, we sear our fish and then put it in the oven to finish, and the pan was very hot, and I had it sitting on the stove, and I reached over it to grab the pan behind it, and the handle hit right there. Good job, Rob. 
Yep. That looks painful. That's <laughs> yeah, fine. I don't. This is gonna sound like sad, but I don't really feel burns much anymore. <laughs> and exactly, James just damn. hit the nail on the head. Well, yeah, probably. Uh, James just hit the nail on the head. He said it doesn't seem like anyone gets paid enough pretty much anywhere. Yeah. Here in Um Yeah. Consumer prices have increased back to France. Sorry, I guess I probably should have said that. Um, have increased by more than 6%. Now compare that to what we're experiencing here. They're protesting over a 6% inflation rate. And we're looking at realistically more than double that here. You're uh, breaking up. Damn it, I'm losing audio again. I heard that. <laughs> um, yeah, so the next thing, I guess. Um, Chris, how much do you do you know about like how the Communist Party of China works like how the party congress works i don't know much uh <clears throat> i know it's like more than likely less authoritarian than portrayed and there's seems to be a, an actual like extensive democratic process okay i don't know i mean i i don't know I was just going to say, I don't know enough to, like, give you specifics, but um, I do know that it is a very intensive democratic process. The party has over 98 million members, making it the largest communist organization in the world. Um, and, you know, to, like, take ideas from 98 million people and put them into a five-year plan takes a lot of work. Um, but this is the 20th um, Communist Party Congress. Um, I happened to find a video that's got pretty good um, translation, real time. Um, and somebody was kind enough in the comments to put timestamps for specific things. So, um, without further ado, Wait, hold on. I did that wrong. I got to fix that. It would be stupid if I did it without audio. And we lost Trisha. I, God damn it. And the broader this is founding a century ago. The Communist Party of China has taken a remarkable journey. Our party has dedicated itself to achieving lasting greatness for the Chinese nation and committed itself to the noble cause of peace and development for humanity. Our responsibility is unmatched in importance and our mission is glorious beyond compare. 
It is the imperative that all of us in the party never forget our original aspiration and founding mission that we always stay modest, prudent, and hardworking. And that we have the courage and ability to carry on our fight. We must remain confident in our history, exhibit greater historical initiative, and write an even more magnificent chapter for socialism with Chinese characteristics in the new era. Might help if I unmute. So, um, like he was just saying, the goal is to keep the ideology, be dedicated to peace, be dedicated to the development of humanity. Um, here we go. We will improve the social security system. We will further improve the multi-tiered social security system that covers the entire population in urban and rural areas and see that it is fair, unified, reliable, well-regulated, and sustainable. We will expand the coverage of social insurance programs. We will remain committed to the fundamental national policy of gender equality, protect the lawful rights and interests of women and children, and promote all-around development of programs for people with disabilities. We will move faster to build a housing system featuring multiple suppliers and various channels of support that encourages both housing rentals and purchases. We will advance the Healthy China Initiative. We must give strategic priority to ensuring people's health. We will establish a policy system to boost birth rates and pursue a proactive national strategy in response to population aging. We will promote the preservation and innovative development of traditional Chinese medicine. We will improve the public health system and strengthen the systems for epidemic prevention, control, and treatment, as well as our emergency response capacity so as to effectively contain major infectious diseases. So this section was on human rights. And he was talking about Social Security. He was talking about their health care system. He was talking <clears throat> about, I believe he mentioned housing. I, I mean, you know, none of these are considered human rights in America. Um, there was one more thing that I wanted to show. Hey, what up? Back. Trying. There we go. It fucking connected again. Yay. Yeah, that shit just like completely froze up. You sounded like Charlie Brown's sister for a minute and it was like done. Had to reload the page. Gotcha. Um, we're kind of going through 
highlights, I guess you could say, of um, the 20th Communist Party of China Congress. Um, I was just pointing out that in that last piece, he was it was the human rights section of his speech, and he was talking about healthcare. He was talking about education. I believe he mentioned housing. None of these things are considered human rights in America. Um, Social security that applies to everyone in China. Right. These are things that uh, ethically are human rights because they're necessities for life itself. Right. Oh, this is on the green plan, by the way. And take a holistic and systematic approach to the conservation and improvement of mountains, waters, forests, farmlands, grasslands, and deserts. We will carry out coordinated industrial restructuring, pollution control, ecological conservation, and climate response. And we will promote concerted efforts to cut carbon emissions, reduce pollution, expand green development, and pursue economic growth. We will prioritize ecological protection, conserve resources, and use them efficiently, and pursue green and low-carbon development. We will accelerate the transition to a model of green development. We will implement a comprehensive conservation strategy, boost green and low-carbon industries, encourage green consumption, and promote green and low-carbon ways of production and life. We will intensify pollution prevention and control. We will make further efforts to keep our skies blue, waters clear, and lands clean. We will work to basically eliminate serious air pollution, generally eliminate black and malodorous water bodies in cities, and strengthen prevention and control of soil contamination at the source. The environment infrastructure will be upgraded, and living environments in both urban and rural areas will be improved. We will enhance diversity, stability, and sustainability in our ecosystems. Major projects for preserving and restoring key ecosystems will be carried out at a faster pace. We will carry out major biodiversity protection projects, promote the natural regeneration of grasslands, forests, rivers, lakes, and wetlands, enforce the 10-year fishing ban on the Yangtze River, and improve the system of fallowing and crop rotation. Efforts will be made to prevent and treat harm caused by invasions of exotic species. We will work actively and prudently toward the goals of reaching peak carbon emissions and carbon neutrality. Based on China's energy and resource endowment, we will advance initiatives to reach peak carbon emissions in a well-planned and phased way, in line with the principle of building the new before discarding the old. We will thoroughly advance the energy revolution. Coal will be used in a cleaner and more efficient way, and will speed up the planning and development of a system for new energy sources 
and we will get actively involved in global governance and response to climate change. All right, so I obviously don't buy into clean coal. I don't think anybody here does. Um, but they're not just like, oh yeah, let's keep burning coal forever. They're like, until we have new systems in place, we have to keep burning coal. And that's the difference in mentality that matters. Um, right. But they didn't give dollar amounts um, in, in this, but they are investing already prior to this massive amounts in green energy. Um, I mean, we'll see if they can, I, I mean, they industrialized in no time flat, right? <laughs> like I can imagine that they will be just fine. Um, I, I believe him when he says the, that they will lead the world energy revolution. Um, but I mean, that being said, he also didn't pull any punches about Taiwan. Um, I'm losing audio again. I wasn't saying anything. I was, uh, there we go. Hold on. I had to get it to the right, right time in the video. Resolving the Taiwan question in a new era. Well, like even before you stopped talking to find the right time marker, it was making your voice go garbled again, so just a heads up, it might be economic and so social and cultural exchanges and cooperation across the street and encourage people on both sides of the street to work together to promote Chinese culture and forge closer bounds. Resolving the Taiwan question is a matter for the Chinese a matter that must be resolved by the Chinese. We will continue to strive for a peaceful reunification with the greatest sincerity and the utmost effort, but we will never promise to renounce the use of force, and we reserve the option of taking all measures necessary. This is directly solely at interference by outside forces and a few separatists seeking Taiwan independence and their separatist activity is by no means targeted at our Taiwan compatriots. So we, we got the point, the part that I wanted there. Um, basically, he's telling the West that Taiwan is China, it's a Chinese problem, stay out of it, we will use force if we need to. I mean, like it or not, Taiwan is a US puppet government and has been since 1949. Yep. Um, it's just a hey, capitalist just got enclave. <laughs> What's up? 
Yeah, I just got back. I Sorry, said it's just but... a little capitalist enclave. Yeah, my yeah, Taiwan my... certainly is. I'm sorry about that, Chris. What were you saying? It's all good. I, I just got back. My mic was being weird there. The, it was all grayed out. My mic wasn't working for a little bit. But oh. back now. <laughs> well, that's good. Yep. I'm not um, hearing Chris's audio. I am. That's weird. It's really weird. We were talking over each other for a second there. Um, I don't know what the fuck my laptop's doing. Huh. Yeah, I'm glad we, you, Chris. We, we're good. Glad we got to uh, Taiwan. Uh, I, did. Uh, I Earth is totally agree. So, fascist, Western puppet, capitalist enclave, etc. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that's literally how they gained their independence was us recognizing their independence. But like they've always been part of China, and it's literally the government itself is literally the Chinese bourgeoisie that fled to Taiwan to escape the communists. Um, yeah right it's pretty trippy i remember uh, i found a really old like war propaganda film in the 40s that uh it was an american film talking about our our new ally and they were just talking about commenting uh journalists or whatever i'll be right and back i need to reload the page it was uh okay. Very, it's just really telling how they were extremely supportive of the Kuomintang nationalists or quote unquote China uh, in the American media at the time. But now we're just constantly fear mongering around China and because we didn't get yeah. up to stay in. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And, and more on that too is as far as we didn't get our puppet to stay i mean look at south korea our, that puppet did stay obviously but like that the korean peninsula is still split to this day by the most heavily fortified border on earth because the u.s doesn't want to let go ultimately <laughs> we're still operating under an armistice we're operating under a temporary ceasefire from 1950 fucking Jeez. four yeah i don't know enough about the north and south korea other than that that south korea is a total capitalist puppet mm. The, the wars are pretty yeah, similar. Well, I mean, that's that's a good place to Vietnam. that's a good place to start, really. Look at how close, how much closer they are to say Japan than they are to China, or especially to North Korea. Um. So I don't know how many of you are familiar with Cisco. 
right? They're a nationwide food <laughs> distributor. I work in a restaurant. I work in restaurants, right? So I'm pretty familiar uh, with Cisco, even though I, I hate them personally as a provider because a lot of their shit is, you know, like pre-made frozen shit. And I'm not about that life. But anyway, um, after more than six hours of talks, this actually happened on the 11th, um, but the this, this strike is still going on today. I'm just giving you backstory. After more than six hours of talks, negotiations between Teamsters and Cisco have broken down. As a result, more than 500 team, Teamsters represented workers in Syracuse and Plimpton, Massachusetts, are continuing their strike against the company's unfair labor practices. Teamsters president Sean O'Brien said, Cisco pushes its workers to the physical brink as if they were disposable robots. Our members work hard, but they must be compensated with a secure and quality retirement and affordable health care. No longer will we allow this company to churn workers and then throw them away. They're going to continue to stand up and fight for what they deserve. We have a saying on the strike line, one day longer, one day stronger. Um, pretty solid. Um, more than 230 workers represented by local 317 went on strike at Cisco Syracuse last week after weeks of contentious contract negotiations with the company. Less than three days later, more than 300 workers at local 653 took to a picket line at Boston. The breakdown comes after a Cisco report showed nearly half of its employees have been in their job for less than a year. It's terrible turnover, is the point. Um, Especially for a union. On a recent... Oh my god, yeah, yeah. Well, and the crazy thing about that is now they're trying to, like, pay... Well, scabs, basically, but Cisco drivers in states that aren't unionized to come to Boston and deliver for the here. For probably more money, like, as usual, with scabs. Yup. Yeah, it's, it's fucking bizarre. Um, and then, of course, you know, people are doing it because, like, oh, well, I really need the money, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, no, don't make excuses for being a scab. We all need the money. But you're fucking somebody right. else's job up. Right, and it's not even going to be consistent for them. They're just going to get used by the company until it breaks the seat. And then they're going to go back to working in whatever their fucking home is for their regular ass wage and have only gained a little bit to fuck other people out of actually having an improved contract. That's not okay. Right. Um, I do have another short video for you. It's literally 37 seconds, but this is 30 seconds or 37 seconds of like, Mainstream TV news coverage of striking workers. How bizarre. <laughs> I, I should have said American media because Europe actually reports on that kind of shit all the time, but... Anyway. Hundreds of workers for Cisco Boston, the food distribution company, are striking. More than 300 Teamsters at local 653 walked off the job around midnight Friday, just after their contract ended. This was the scene at the picket line in Plimpton. Yesterday.
Yesterday, Teamsters say union members were off a take-or-leave-it deal with the company over insurance, pension, and wage disputes. Cisco released a statement saying they did offer a substantial wage increase, including more health options at a lower cost. So, so I also like that they showed them stopping a scab from picking up the food. Anyway, that's why I wanted to show that. But, um, yeah, there was actually 30 seconds of news coverage on it in Boston. Um, there's about to be some, uh, the Teamsters are about to be striking at, in, at the University of Minnesota and University of Minnesota Duluth. Hell yeah. As I understand it, Teamsters is trying to uh, uh, build up, you know, their um, strike activities because everybody's getting fucked right now. Yeah, and, they seem um, they, they seem pretty. They rad. Just selected they, a new president last year, right? And this guy seems a lot more like old school radical, more so, like more especially more so than like the AFL CIO. There is liberals that come, but Teamsters seems to be like you know returning to its radical roots, in my opinion. And it's funny how, like, between last year and this year, now, like, Teamsters is striking all over the fucking country. And for, like, 30 years before that, it was always like, oh, well, we can't do that. We can't put our jobs at je in jeopardy, you know. But, like, over the last year, they've really come a long way. And, uh, well, it's it's been building for more than a year. I should clarify that, too. But, uh you know, with the election of this new president, he's actually, like, you know, steering it in that direction right. <laughs> instead of trying to steer it away from that direction. Right. <clears throat> well, I think a lot definitely... of it's just younger blood in there. Yeah. I'm sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, he just fucking got kicked out again. Um... <laughs> So I guess we will talk about on uh, we will talk about October sixteenth, eighteen fifty nine. What do you okay. know about that date? <laughs> I said, "What do you know about that date?" My shit's freezing again. And you sound oh, like Charlie Brown's teacher. What? <laughs> God damn. Uh, um, okay. So October 16th, 1859 was the abolitionist raid on Harbor's Ferry led by John Brown. So the reason I wanted to do this, even though it's not current events, is because I feel like a lot of people have no fucking clue who John Brown is, what he did, uh, what he died to, you know, uphold, or what values he died to uphold, rather. Um, but on October 16th, 1859, John Brown led a small group on a raid against the Federal Armory in Harper's Ferry in an attempt to start an armed revolt against the institution of slavery. 
Um, in Five for Freedom, the African-American soldiers in John Brown's army, Eugene Meyer explains, among Brown's raiders were five African-Americans whose lives and deaths have long been overshadowed by their martyred leader. Two, John Copeland and Shields Green, were executed. Two others, Dangerfield Newby and Louis Leary, died at the scene. Newby, the first to go, is trying to liberate his enslaved wife and children. Of the five, only Osborne Perry Anderson escaped and lived to publish the lone insider account of the event that uh, most historians agree was a catalyst to the catastrophic civil war that followed over the country's original sin of slavery. I think the country's original sin would be, uh, you know, like genocide. Well, both, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that slavery alone can take that, right? Like colonization as a whole, like you just said, genocide of the indigenous people of this land and slavery are all pretty close to equal footing in my eyes. Um, right. It's just a matter of building like one on another. They did the genocide to fully colonize, to be able to then enslave, and here we are. Um, so I, I do have a video for this too. I, I should clarify though, my source for this is the Zen Education Project. This is the People's History account. It's actually a pretty short, um, pretty short thing, but there's somebody reading his final speech, um, you know, as, as he approached the hanging scaffold, he stated, um, I, John Brown, am now quite certain that the crimes of this guilty land will be never purged away, but with blood. I had, as I now think vainly, flattered myself that without very much bloodshed, it might be done. Um, so that would technically be his last speech. But this uh, dramatic reading that we're going to watch is... Um, his speech in the courtroom a month before he was executed. Abraham Lincoln is known as the great emancipator, but if there's any white man who deserves the credit for bringing the issue of slavery in an exciting way before the nation, it's John Brown. John Brown. He was found guilty of trying to seize the arsenal at Harper's Ferry. He's brought to trial, found guilty of treason, and one month before his execution, he addressed a courtroom in Charlestown, West Virginia. I have, may it please the court, a few words to say. In the first place, I deny everything. But what I have all along admitted, the design on my part to free the slaves. I intended certainly to have made a clear thing of that matter, as I did last winter when I went into Missouri, and there took slaves without the snapping of a gun on either side, moved them through the country, and finally left them in Canada. 
I designed to have done the same thing again on a much, much larger scale. That was all I intended. I never did intend murder or treason or the destruction of property or to excite or incite slaves into rebellion or to make insurrection. And I have another objection, and that is it is unjust that I should suffer such a penalty. Had I interfered in the matter which I admit, and which I admit has been fairly proved, had I so interfered in behalf of the rich, the powerful, the intelligent, the so-called great, or in behalf of any of their friends, either father, mother, brother, sister, wife, or children, or any of that class, and suffered and sacrificed what I have in this interference, it would have been all right. And every man in this court wouldn't it an act worthy of reward rather than punishment. This court acknowledges, I suppose, the validity of the law of God. I see a book kissed here, which I suppose it to be the Bible, or at least the New Testament. That teaches me that whatsoever I would that men should do unto me, I should do even so to them. It teaches me further to remember them that they are in bonds as bound with them. I endeavor to act up to that instruction. I say I am yet too young to understand that God is any respecter of persons. I believe that to have interfered as I have done as I have always freely admitted that I have done in behalf of his despised poor was not wrong, but right. Now, if it is deemed necessary that I should forfeit my life for the furtherance of the ends of justice and mingle my blood further with the blood of my children and with the blood of millions in this slave country whose rights are disregarded by wicked, cruel and unjust enactments, I submit, so let it be done. Good old John Brown. Why won't this exit full screen? What is happening here? Um, yeah, do either of you have, uh, anything to say on that, uh, John Brown speech? Not necessarily. No. I had some thoughts coming up, uh, in the beginning, just, uh, when you were talking about, like, uh, this country's original sin or whatever, um, right. it's kind of de derailing from John Brown. But, like, the Taiwan and South Korea and all these, like, proxy states and puppet states and whatnot can really be seen as a, another form of colonization. Like, I don't know. You could, yeah, yeah, I mean, it is, it is another form of colonization. <clears throat> uh, I don't know. I feel like a lot comes back to colonization. 
like globally. The, all these proxy yeah. wars, etc. Well, yeah, this is just like the more modern version of that. Instead of like having direct control and then it being obvious that you are oppressing these people. Oh, hey, look, look, they elected this leader that just so happens to have all of our interests. <laughs> you know, like. While like selling off. While like selling off their public resources to private corporations and destabilizing shit. And, yeah. Pretty gnarly. Yeah. How did I not know that Trump called Howard Zinn's work propaganda? <laughs> Makes sense. I mean, yeah, of course he did. But <laughs> um, actually, since we're talking about Howard Zinn, because I just read that from Zinn Education, I want to take the moment to shout out uh, Bread Theory. He, I, I don't know if he is still doing it, but he has done uh, a whole series on a people's history of the United States, and um, I recommend everybody check that out. Or, you know, just, yeah. like, read the book. But right. That book is anyway. intense. Um, also, last week I published on the website an article about u.s defense spending and contracts a lot of the content of that article revolved around um this new um weapon system with a new site that has aim assist <laughs> and uh Anyway, the, the, the point is, the point is, is I wanted to use that as a reason to, A, say, hey, this new technology is quite fucking concerning, and B, this new technology is costing us billions of dollars that could go to literally anything else, um, and that it would probably find its way into the hands of the police, um, which I'm currently working on an article titled the militarization of the U.S. police and its cost on society. That will probably be up in the next couple of days. Um, maybe. We'll see. Um, anyway, I'm dropping the link for the one that is out now about defense spending and privatized contracts. Um, you know, everybody take a look at it when you have time, if you haven't already. Um, yeah, and keep your eye out for the next one. Sorry, I keep getting disconnected every like five, ten minutes. It's... Yeah, it happens sometimes. <laughs> well, Trisha's been having that issue for like, well, since she's been where she's at, especially. Um, yeah, I heard bits and pieces of that. Yeah, my Wi-Fi sucks. Yeah. <laughs> but but Chris, you were talking about um, the eviction of like houseless people in Minnesota, right? 
Oh yeah, that's been going on, uh, like over the last week or so, is at least. Uh, I don't know details, but. I Did we lose Chris? Because I'm not hearing his audio. I heard you ask him a question. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was hearing his audio, and then he was gone. I don't know how you're hearing me, but not hearing him. Well, I could hear him That's... again once I reloaded the page, but then it cut out again a moment ago, and it did the bloopy sound, and it's not showing him in the studio now. Gotcha. But I take it he's having um, fucked up signal too. I mean, I, I guess so. So I'm going to read a thing from ACLU, Minnesota. Well, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, as you said, this has been going on for a little while now. Um, seven homeless individuals who were evicted from their homes in city parks and saw their property destroyed filed a class, a class action lawsuit in federal district court Monday. The complaint against Hennepin County, the city of Minneapolis, the heads of local law enforcement, and the Minneapolis Parks and Rec Board alleges that the city and county violated the constitutional rights of the plaintiffs and others living in the parks by destroying encampments. Giving little or even no notice, law enforcement bulldozed people's shelters, throwing away personal belongings including keepsakes, ID cards, clothing, and blankets. Um, clearing the encampments damages thousands of dollars in property. Those tents are a hundred dollars a piece and people's important documents, family photos, medication get destroyed. So, uh, plaintiff Patrick Berry, who lost his tent mattress and sleeping bag, he saw friends arrested and pepper sprayed. And he went on to say, people are already suffering so much. It is really cruel what the city is doing. So I'm, I'm hoping that they get you know, justice, but I mean, justice would be ending their homeless situation. Um, and I, I don't see Minneapolis doing that. It's good to hear that there is a class action lawsuit, uh, in progress, but yeah, I mean, they're talking about how it's been going on for quite some time. Um, you know, and there are thousands of people who are homeless in the twin cities, um, the city and county have failed to offer adequate shelter or housing. Instead, the so-called plan is to repeatedly kick out hundreds of residents without permanent homes from public parks, upend their lives, destroy their property, and then fail to find them somewhere place to live. Throwing away people's only belongings without notice is a shameful violation of their civil liberties. Yeah. Yeah, to say the absolute least, yeah. That is absolutely fucking horrifying. Think about it. Winter's coming. You know? It, Twin Cities get really fucking harsh weather in the winter. And they're taking away what little shelter these people have. What the fuck? Right. It right. literally costs less fucking money to house people than it does to keep doing shit like this of 
raiding and pillaging unhoused people's seldom few belongings. Raids like a lot of fucking money to send that many pigs out to go destroy people's shit and throw it in a fucking dumpster. Costs a lot of money to house people in jails when they get arrested for simply not having a house. A there are so many studies proven across the fucking board it is less expensive to simply give people appropriate fucking housing. What is the malfunction here with the way people are thinking and having no fucking ethics in how to address these problems? Hey guys, I'm back. Uh, sorry about that again. Um, what, what, uh, what were you just reading off of for your source? Uh, ACLU of Minnesota. Okay. <clears throat> I just uh, dropped the link in the private chat in here. I don't know if you can see it on your phone. It it seemed like really well done. I only heard a chunk of it. But, uh, uh, there's a lot it, more than what I read, too. Um, right. But they were talking with one of the plaintiffs about the uh, class action lawsuit, so that's more or less what I was... Uh, reading, but I also put the link in the comments for the rest of you if you would like to get more information about the class action lawsuit. Um, how, what did I just do? I see what I did. I see what I did. Dude, I, I hope they get, get awarded enough for each of them to buy a house. At least. At least. Mm -hmm. Minimum. I have like uh, one bar on my video here. So I'm not sure if you guys can hear me. Looks like you can. Oh, there. yeah, I hear you. Yep, I can hear you. <clears throat> um, uh, the uh, some organizers. There's, I don't know. There is a video I saw. Uh, 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 there's a in the cities connected with, with BLM organizer called uh, King Demetrius. I don't know if you guys are familiar at all, but uh, he does pretty good coverage. But he uh, he uh, really small group of uh, protesters that one of the organizers I knew from down there for BLM. Uh, they they went into the Minneapolis City Council to pressure to get one of the counselors that they elected, uh, Nikima Levy Armstrong, to uh, do something about the sweep, and unfortunately, due to, like, careerism, basically, uh, the city counselor that the community elected or whatever just kind of gave them the, the runaround and, like, Telling them to go, go here, go there for what they're asking for. And they were asking her to sign the resolution, and uh, it was just really shitty to see uh, somebody else. Oh fuck! We just lost him again. I was gonna try to lead him into this next story when he was done with what he was saying there. I'm still. Uh, Oh, I finally have a two-monitor setup again, so that's exciting. 
that makes it a lot easier to like pull up videos and share them or you know like when we're doing the panther classes especially i think he's back he's he's back i'm sorry about that Got cut out for a quick second <laughs> but, uh, uh, it's just shitty to see somebody that the community helped elect and that is the supposed community organizer Suppose a community organizer for Black Lives just turned down the community that elected her, and I don't know. It's oh, just, wow. just kind of telling comes to like liberalism, I guess. Um, kind of having trouble finding the right word. You know what I'm saying? kind of muffled now. <clears throat> It was just disappointing to see uh, Nakima, the community, the person that community elected, just turn down people looking for the eviction. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's also crazy how, like, you know, there was a, there was a moratorium on evictions for how long? Like, nationwide mm. right and uh you know like now it's like we're still in the middle of a pandemic it's going into winter and we're just gonna like yeah it, it's not even like it's not even like just evictions are the issue because then like okay so i'm gonna go set up a tent in a park and then i'm gonna get bulldozed out of there too right <clears throat> I have a petition here regarding this, but I'm not sure how to post it in the... Oh, we lost him again. Um, so, this is out of Alaska. Um, this is one of the things that Chris had submitted to talk about, um, a local native group. I don't, I don't know how to say this village name, Kotzebue. I don't know. K-O-T-Z-E-B-U-E. -E. I have no idea how to pronounce that. Welcome back again, Chris. Um, I actually was just moving into your, um, your 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 story about the Ambler Road. I don't know how oh, to pronounce right. that village, but yeah. I just I a friend of mine from NLM hit me up asking if I could help out with that somehow. And, uh, they look worthy of support. <laughs> the exploitative mining industries <clears throat> right right yeah it's always it's always like mining or oil you know it's right. never like oh hey people actually have to drive through here it's like no we have to fucking get pieces of an oil pipeline into place or you know we have to truck shit from this mine to 
everywhere else. But yeah, yeah. It's always like that. Um, so the native village of Katsubu Council believes that the relatively short-term economic and other benefits of industrial development in the upper Kobuk region is outweighed by the widespread long-term negative impacts to the fish and wildlife that will result from this development. If approved, the project would bring over 200 miles of road to the region. As it is cur uh, currently proposed, it uh, would begin at the Dalton Highway near Prospect Creek, cross north of Ambler and Bettles, and terminate in the mining district in the southern foothills of the Brooks Range. Of the total 211 miles proposed, about 26 would cross gates of the Arctic National Park, would also cover lands managed by the Bureau of Land Management, um, the state of Alaska, and Alaska Native Corporations. Hmm. The mining district is rich in copper, zinc, lead, and other materials. And the Alaska Industrial Development and Export Authority, which is leading the project, has argued the road will give mining companies the access they need to develop prospects in the area. Those prospects could lead to financial returns to the state and local communities. So, you know, yet again, you have um, supporters just saying like, oh, yeah, yeah, if you, if you do this, if you invest this into this company, you're going to get some sort of return. The return never materializes, ever. There's something interesting I learned around this, actually, the Alaska, Alaska land system for natives is completely different than it is down here. <clears throat> oh, really? Like, uh, they, they have, quote-unquote, native villages of blank and only one reservation. Like, oh, wow. They have all their... Yeah, uh, apparently in the 70s, the government signed over like 40 million acres to the natives, but uh, they call them, they consider the native villages like corporations. So they're still prey to private corporations uh, big time, but it seems like, I don't know, the, the native village land system is the, it seems a lot better than reservations in my opinion it's just the but they're even even though they're they're still subject to those private privatization and shit right um james said in the <clears throat> comments i don't know west virginia got slammed by oil and gas and now it's a ghost town money leaves when the work is done exactly Exactly. Um, let's see. Uh, while the road would provide an industry connection between the mining district and the Hall Road, it would also cross prime substance use areas, which is of concern to groups who oppose its construction. Construction of the Ambler Road and likely additional spur roads and development of these mine sites and the associated industrial activity and tailings ponds will change the character of the upper Kobuk environment, including the Kobuk River. 
These changes will negatively affect the caribou, fish, birds, and other wildlife directly through habitat destruction, habitat fragmentation, industrial disturbance, and contamination during the life of the mines and for centuries thereafter. The wildlife and fish that will be harmed from this development sustain the cultural, nutritional, and spiritual way of life of the tribal members. I'm not going to butcher that. It starts with the Q. Hold on. I'm copying it and pasting it and putting it on the screen. If anybody has a, uh, a, uh, a guess at how to pronounce this. How do you say that? I don't know. My signal's so low, it's not even loading the text on the screen, so I can't even try to help. <laughs> um, environmental groups like the Wilderness Society have also spoken out against the road. That's what Chris was just saying. As have a handful of local communities, including Alakakat, Ambler, Bettles, Evansville, Puslia, Kobuk, and Kayakuk, along with Loudon, Rampart, and Ruby. Chris is back. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, where did the other thing go? Damn it. I'm back again. Welcome back again. <laughs> I stepped outside because I'm in like a trailer and the, the service is weirdly better right outside my door. So. Yeah, do you know if there's yeah, a trailer? Good old trailers. What do you, you know saying? if there's a, a restream app? I don't think uh, there wasn't before, but I mean, that doesn't mean that there isn't necessarily now. I haven't looked in a long time. I feel like they would probably say, like, hey, there's an app now or something. Right. Um, <clears throat> there should be, though. <clears throat> Streamlabs has an app. I don't know anything about Streamlabs, though. Hmm. I don't know. There is no restream app for Android, though. Um, I did want to talk about... Uh, Chris said he wanted to talk about the Second Rainbow Coalition, and I've been sharing into our group the uh, the uh, For We Are Many education and discussion group. I've been sharing some of uh, Kwame Shakur and, and Rob Strong um, and Hi Thurman like, you know, videos and posts of them uh, doing their thing out on the West Coast book tour. Um, Kwame and High are the two, you know, book tour people. Hi, Thurman. Actually, give me two seconds. Well, he's grabbing that. I'm not running downstairs to get my uh, copy of Revolutionary Hillbilly, but as far as uh, <laughs> Kwame's book goes, oh, hold on, let me turn off that that background for a second. 
There we go. This is Kwame Shakur's book, My Search for Answers, Truth, and Meaning. Um, this is the book that he is promoting on the book tour. And then High Thurman wrote Revolutionary, Revolutionary Hillbilly, which is about the Young Patriots organization and the original Rainbow Coalition. Um, obviously, both books are um, at different stages, I guess you would say, in the legacy of the Rainbow Coalition, but uh, Kwame is the Minister of Culture of the New African Black Panther Party. Uh, Rob Strong, who is helping them put this together and, you know, helping them as they are going up the West Coast, um, is the Minister of Culture of the White Panther Party. Um, and then there's also been a bunch of Brown Berets, and, um, I mean, today they, like, uh, toured the Oakland Mural Project, um, which gives a, a brief tour of the legacy of the Black Panthers, which I shared that video from Kwame and the group as well. Um, My phone is going kind of slow, why? but I'm going to pop the poster in the comments with the schedule on there. So, because I think there's still a few more events that they're doing. So if you're on the West yeah. Coast, check it out nearby. And I mean, if you're, if you have an, a, a place near you where more events can happen, um, you know, hit up Kwame or High or, um, um, any of them, really, but Kwame or High, Kwame and High would be the two best people to get a hold of, um, because I know that they want to do more stops, um, you know, than they currently have scheduled. I am not sure why. I'm not trying to look at his group posts. I thought that I put what I was looking for in the group, but apparently I didn't. There we go. Okay, now I found it. Um, this is from Kwame's Facebook page. Obviously, I'm not going to show you the whole video. What I am going to do is share the link. Uh, it's a public video. Anybody can go on and watch it in the comments. Um, and play the first few minutes of this video. Um, yeah. I can hear this better on my phone. I can hear it through this right now. Hold on. I can't I think... hear it at all. Yeah, I couldn't hear it. Uh, Hold on. Let me go to his other page. 
because he posted a different uh, thing before. Oh, well, it was after that, actually, but. They're in San Francisco today. They were in Oakland yesterday. They were in LA the day before that. Um, he got to meet, well, they, I guess I should say, got to meet James Tracy, who wrote Hillbilly Nationalists, Urban Race Rebels, and Black Power, um, which had been one of the only books about um, the original Rainbow Coalition at the time. So, I mean, it's kind of cool that him and High were in the same. Um, space. Um, he also took a bunch of pictures with Panther murals. Where's the thing I'm looking for? And those murals in Oakland are dope. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, they really are. Okay, so I'm going to do the one from UC Merced instead of that one. This one's a lot shorter anyway, but... All uh, right. What did I do? There we go. There we go. There we go. Do you hear that? Barely on my phone, but Welfare Rights Organization, 
Well, fire almost said it's a command action. It changed the whole welfare system within within the state. So she was very powerful. She's very good. Um, very good friend of mine. Uh, her family still, you know, her surviving family is still good friends of mine. But uh, you know, and I was going to say also, you know, the little baby in the the documentary of the little woman's lap. I'm good friends with her still. That baby now. You know, and we talk to each other. She's got kids too. So, you know, but um, you know, Peggy Terry. You know, she ran for vice president. She did a lot of things. So, you know, she was a very active woman. You know, within the uh, within the movement. I got a question of you concerning the rural, rural America. Do you have any comments or opinions about how, how it's been neglected as far as organizing? I read an article recently by these two people in Pennsylvania where they went out to rural America to try to get the uh, women elected. I like their strategy, what they did then. And they talked to people, they didn't say it's Democrat or Republican, they just were listening to what people were saying, what their concerns were, what the demands were. Yeah. And they were able to you know, uh, talk to people and sort of convince them, and I think that's that's a tra tragedy that we neglect rural, rural America. Yeah. Because there's a lot of potential there. Well, it's always been uh, neglected, rural America. You know, farming country, uh, you know, dispersed, you know, the politicians always pay attention to the major population, usually. Um, and so, um, there's some people in the uh, rural communities that are actually very radical. But the problem is, if within the South, I can only speak about, it's hard to get Southern people organized. They, they just don't want to come to meetings. They don't want to, <laughs> you know, and they just sometimes don't want to even talk about, you know, uh, going to meetings, but they do want to talk about some of the problems they're having. And certainly, some of the things we're looking at down there now or in the South is, conglomerations again taking over uh, building you know and and forcing they're actually forcing people to sell their land so they can build housing or more businesses coming in uh, the, the south is very um, getting to be very populated and even the rural areas are getting to be very populated uh, and so uh, you know, people think a lot of it is, is Trump country, which it, you know, if you get into some of the white rural areas, it is. But there are a lot of people uh, who need some direction, you know, and where to go. And with some of the programs that's being developed by some of the organizations, they're, they're taking health care out, you know, to the rural areas, you know, and they're taking other programs out there to the rural areas. And they're, they're the beginning uh, to actually run some of those programs. So it's still, you know, in the South, it's still a mix of, you know, people's attitude toward race and class. And, uh, but that's beginning to change because of the uh, economics of what's going on, you know, in farming. It's just, you know, it's very difficult to make a living at that anymore uh, because of the, you know, the high prices that everything is, and also for the climate change, uh, is making a big impact there too. So, 
a lot of people are just thinking about their survival. You know, so yeah, there's some organizing going on, but that's a good area where, where we should be. And that's what the Young Patriots wanted to do. And that's what I would still want to do, go in and organize in the, in the rural areas. Question, Kwan. I read somewhere that, that a lot of black people are moving back from the north to the south. You think that's true? I may not. Yeah, I want to be one of them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen a whole lot, like a third of my family lives down in Florida now. You know, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, like for instance, Atlanta. Uh, that's a big uh, black population, really from all over that's been moving to Atlanta. You know what I mean? Not only think about it, it's good weather. <laughs> you know, but uh, I think people like, having that community aspect to it too. You know what I mean? And I see like my, my wife, she's uh from Florida. Uh and we talk about like the cultural differences uh between the South and the North and stuff. You know what I mean? And it is it, it does have that. I remember when I went to uh Atlanta the first time and I'm in a gas station and like I just kicked up a conversation with a guy like we just been knowing each other since kindergarten. And like we left, I thought we was about to exchange numbers and, and, and go to the club or go have a drink afterwards. It's a different vibe down there. I think that people want to get back to like that more communal uh, type of community uh, that you feel more, I feel, in the South. You know what I mean? Where in the North, it's a little bit culturally different, more hostile, more even more conservative on certain levels. You know what I mean? Uh, then... But yeah, I see. I see that, uh, and and I think it also has to do with the fact that after uh, segregation and stuff like that, and uh, the transition in a way uh, from like the lynchings and the absolute white supremacist terror that was going on at that that was concentrated. Nowadays, the white supremacy area where you know what I'm saying is more diffused. You know, so going back to the south is not uh, such of a dreaded thing now, you know what I mean? And so I think that has a lot to do with it uh, as well, because like I said, I've seen it in my own family, like most of my family live down south now. Well, starting to be that, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, yeah, I have a question. You know, it seems that over the the years, as far as I, in my life, there's always been ways to have people stay divided, mm -hmm. right? Sometimes it's a suspicion of something. Mm -hmm. I think the modern um, weapon, you know, that that is, is being pointed at us is really um, <coughs> uh, the whole thing about people coming into this country without any documentation. Mm -hmm. We only had prisons and jails mm -hmm. before. Now we have detention centers, right. mm -hmm. and those detention centers being run by corporations yeah. and even our own congress people are voting you know to have uh, to pay those corporations to have it filled up with people right. there was one um one uh, opportunity here in california called the vision act and it would have uh, allowed people who were sentenced who were undocumented to finish their sentence to not be turned over to immigration. Because right now, a U.S. citizen, for whatever crime they've committed, once they're done with their sentencing, they're complete. They can go back to family and community. 
but the undocumented cannot. So this is an issue, but you know, part of it is I think the fear. I know our sheriff here, he goes right. to town on going, you know, seeing if someone is undocumented that has committed a crime, and then they make a big old thing about it. See, this is why we don't shoot at right. the laws and blah, 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 you know. And it's a scapegoat, but I don't know, you know, I mean, what effort that's going to take. I mean, everything's connected, right. but, um, you know, I know right now I have a cousin who, who is out of prison in Arizona. He is from California. He has daughters and grandkids here. He has to pay $200 for each request to move to California. <coughs> so officials here have to agree to him coming back. And the officials from, you know, uh, Arizona have to agree for him to come back. They've turned him down. Mm -hmm. He wants to be with family. Mm -hmm. He did 20-something years, you know. And he's, he's getting to the grandpa age, right? right? So to me, it's just such a cruel system that we have, right. you know. Yeah. I, I want to speak to that. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, I w when I was in uh, prison, I only came across one rich person. <laughs> and, he, and he was only in there because he was robbing other rich people. You know what I mean? That's where his mistake was. If he would have stayed robbing poor people, he would have been out here still. <laughs> he started doing that bad Bernie Madoff stuff to them, and he was like, yeah, you betraying all of us. <laughs> uh, he told me, uh, he used to, uh, me and him used to have conversations. I, I like to pick all class of people's brains, you know what I mean, to see where, like, their class consciousness, what I can learn from them. So me and him talked uh, one day, and he was telling me about his experience being a capitalist, a big-time capitalist in the world and stuff. And he, he was telling me, he was like, yeah, Kwame, I know. Uh, well, I didn't go by Kwame in there. I went by my prison nickname. <laughs> but uh, he told me, he was like, man, when I was, uh, like, doing my business down in Mexico, like, the businesses down there would promote um, um, Mexican people coming up here, like these conservatives and stuff, mm -hmm. these George Bushes, these Dick Cheneys and stuff like this, because they saw this as cheap labor. And they saw that the mechanization, just think about the South, when the South, and Hyde talks about it in his book, when they started to mechanize agriculture and stuff, just like all these factories, uh, like this started to displace workers during the industrial age, well, the mechanization of the South and agriculture drove a lot of people out the South for better opportunities. High's talking about it right now. Like a lot of people down that wants to be farmers, you're not gonna make no living on being a farmer. A farmer, you're not gonna have the same type of social, economic, social mobility that you once did before. The mechanization, they don't need as many workers to produce more uh, wealth and uh, uh, commodities and stuff like that. Think about that is the same dynamic that capitalist imperialism is doing to third world countries or lesser developed countries. You know what I'm saying? Like Mexico. So you have these agro businesses up here in the north that is a lot more sophisticated because they have more time to accumulate wealth, accumulate capital. capital. You know, not only do they uh, uh, have a, have they developed uh, and, and built up their capital wealth here, they did it on the global monopoly board. <laughs> so they can go down to Mexico and out-compete a lot of the agricultural businesses out there. 
and drive drive a lot of those native-born businesses out of businesses and start to take over their market. And some of those markets was more native. It was more organic. It relied more on a bigger population of people to be out in the fields that had a little bit small farms that they could uh, develop their own plots and stuff like that. Well, that's being wiped out. So when people talk about, uh, oh, they're they coming over here invading our country. What what did you do to that country to even put that type of plate tectonic uh, uh, disruption going on down there? Let's also look at the the, the people that y'all been over the, the governments y'all been overthrowing, <laughs> and then the fascists like Donald Trump. Y'all putting in power down here these coups that you're supporting, and you wonder why. These uh, uh, these bar brothers, that's what I call them. They are brothers. That's right. Everybody else that's like Franz Fanon said, the wretched of the earth, the ones that's the oppressed, the marginalized, them is our brothers. Them is our comrades. That's how I look at it. Now, now I'm conscious. But that's why people are coming in there. This is how you start to break down these stereotypes and these fears because you start to realize, like, okay, people ain't getting the full story. <laughs> You know, but that's part of the uh, socialization process, too, with these institutions like CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. They're not going to ever tell you the full story. Why? Because they serve the same people that's caused the problem in the first place. So they're only going to tell you part of the picture, and they're only going to shape it in a way for their particular policy that they want to carry out. Yeah, so um, I'm obviously not going to like play the whole video, um, but keep your eye on Kwame Che Shakur's Facebook page or Hi Thurman's Facebook page. Um, there are three stops into what I think a six-stop tour. Um, so if you're on the West Coast and you have a chance to go see him, most of them seem to be set up in this kind of Q&A format. They talk about their books and then open the floor for questions. And uh, I think these discussions are important in the long run. The exchange of ideas, the exchange of information. I mean, this is how movements grow. Um, and I guess the movement here would be the Second Rainbow Coalition. It was built by supporters of and founders of um, the original Rainbow Coalition. So now, you know, we're trying to, to put together a coalition much like, you know, Fred Hampton and High Thurman and uh, Jose Chacha Jimenez did in the 60s. We're trying to do that now. Um, I don't remember the names of all of the organizations in the Second Rainbow Coalition, but it's continuously growing. The whole idea is for us to unite as many people as we can um, for liberation. And uh, that's, that's two good dudes. They're two good books. Um, I've learned a lot from both of them. Um, Actually, if you want to go like onto our YouTube, search uh, Kwame Shakur on our YouTube channel even, and you'll hear 
him reading an excerpt of the book. Um, one of these days we got to get high on here, or at least try. But that hasn't happened yet. Um, yeah, I don't know, Chris. What do you think of uh, this this book tour? I haven't, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> I haven't been able to take the time to watch these videos all the way through, but I've definitely been keeping tabs on it, uh, it seems powerful, like, and effective at bringing people in as far as the whole the intention I gathered from the two RC is that they're base building right now to mobilize, like. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I'm the actually base gonna the base ascend. building seems to be working. <clears throat> uh, I just sent the link for the second Rainbow Coalition's. Facebook page uh, into the comments, which um, that that's another thing. Uh, Kwame and Hai got to uh, one of their stops was at a place that uh, Wayne Kramer is involved with. Wayne Kramer, if you do know his name, you probably know him as the guitarist of the MC5. Um, oh but he was also the minister of culture for the original white Panther party. He wrote a book called the hard stuff. Um, and I just know, be... recently learned about them, the, the band that, what are they called again? The MC five. It was short for the motor city five. Gotcha. Yeah. I... They were out of Detroit. Um, they were all political activists. They're, um, their guitarist was the minister of culture for the original White Panther Party. The um, kick out the jams. Their, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kick out the jams, motherfucker. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, that's that's another good book to check out. the The chairman was uh, uh, John Sinclair. And uh, he was also the manager of the MC5. So, you know, like the activists and music circuits in Detroit in the late 60s were very interconnected. All right. Um, a really good uh, John Sinclair documentary on uh, YouTube mm -hmm. that I just watched a few weeks ago. So, oh, yeah. Basically, just like a biopic. It was really that interesting. He's super on point. Mm. Um, also, I know that most of you in the comments have already watched this one, but if you happen to miss it that day, um, I just put the uh, link to the episode... Uh, about the People's Coalition rally in Chicago where uh, Jake came on and we uh, 
you know, watch some speeches that happened in Chicago. Um, the People's Coalition rally was put on by the Brown Berets, but obviously the different organizations of the Second Rainbow Coalition were there and representing. And um, I mean, that was that was a really powerful uh, weekend, really. Oh yeah, and it was like. It seems like the future future of the movement there. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, obviously the, the goal is to get um, other groups involved and, you know, make it really a, a lasting thing. Um, and I, I think that the groundwork is being done to see that happen. But... Um, Anyway, yeah, I don't really have anything else to discuss. I don't know um, if you do. Uh, there's we almost covered everything on my list of topics here. Uh, there's three I'm gonna pass for now. But, uh, there is just that that recent protest in D.C. against the IMF and World Bank. They were oh yeah, IMF members from going into the meeting. <clears throat> yeah, I forgot I, about that. I had read something about it, and I meant to like go find out more about it, and I forgot. And then the the there's like anti nuke resolutions pushed by anti war groups, right? Like right now, I guess, across the country. And there's one passed in St. Paul and Chicago, for sure. And we're, we're about to be pushing for that up here in uh, Superior and Duluth City Councils. Oh, yeah. I'm, I don't have a whole lot of faith in the like electoral process, but it, the intention with these resolutions is to force our city governments to basically put in Biden. I think we'll be able to do it. I don't know. Biden probably won't listen, but. Right. Well, I mean, that's the thing. That's, uh, I mean, some people like have to become disillusioned by electoral politics. You can't just, you know, like. Right. You can't just tell them that it doesn't work. They have to figure it out. Right. And no, James, it's Doritos. <laughs> and uh, just, I guess wanted to mention the the we the group I'm representing, I guess, or that I have my name as on here. Uh, been uh, attempting. We're, we were a anti-imperialist study group for a bit, but the intention is to build due power and get on the 2RC. And, uh, yeah, we've been doing uh, barbecues and feeding the homeless, like, every two weeks up here. Oh, no. I lost them both. But, um, no, that's pretty badass. Um, 
I would I would like to see more groups get involved with the Second Rainbow Coalition, obviously, and um, uh, doing barbecues, feeding the homeless is is something that I think that we can all do in our communities, even even if it's just like an irregular thing. You have a little extra money, fucking buy some food, and cook it up, and serve it to people. You know. Um, that being said, I know food's expensive. Holy fuck. Um, I was hoping that he was going to come back in here, but do you got any final thoughts on, you know, like the Kwame and High footage or on the book tour in general or anything? You asking me? Yeah. So you were cutting out the minute. Um, mm. Not that I can think of, but I'm just really frustrated right now from even trying to get this shit to work. So go figure. I get it reconnected right as you're wrapping stuff up. Um, well, I mean, I, don't know. I, I was actually letting uh, Chris, who, I mean, he just came back in. He was talking about uh, the group that he's in. They're doing uh, barbecues, feeding the homeless every other week, I think he said. And uh, yeah, sorry. Second Rainbow, which, I mean, ultimately, all I can really say there is, uh, you know, just um, you got to build those relationships. Like, yep, reach yep. out to Kwame. He's uh, he's he's been involved since you know day one, since before day one. Um, right. So he, he would have the best answer. But, um, yeah, I definitely want to see more groups get involved with uh, with the Second Rainbow Coalition. Um, you know, the idea is to, as you just said, build, du build dual power. Um, right. Build bases of social, cultural, and economic power. Right. And political it, power. Right. The Statehood. Going in your community is exactly the practices that they're looking for. Right. Fuck! There goes my signal again. <laughs> I heard. I hear you though. Yeah. Um, Last little note I had was uh, on the Klobuchar and Stopper. Be like, I was. In addition to the dual power, I feel like uh, recalling a lot of these uh, fascist politicians be a, a nice, like, <laughs> sorry, I'm tripping over my words a little bit. But oh, you're good, dude. We want to hold... Oh... Um, well, I mean, I don't know what all he was going to say, but my take on recalls is that it's a pretty much surefire thing that almost any other industrialized nation that you could possibly live in has some sort of recall process for, you know, corrupt politicians. Um, and we don't really have that. I mean, that being said, there are methods to, you know, impeach or Sorry about uh, that, try God. to recall them in yeah. most uh, states, but that's not always the case. Um, 
Anyway, though, I think that recalling politicians that aren't serving us is something that we do need to definitely think about. And uh, welcome back, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah uh, not sure how, if it rings a bell for you guys, it's like Minnesota-oriented stuff or representatives or whatever, but you want to put pressure on it's giving me the warning signal again so i don't know if you can even hear me (laughs) want to put pressure on klobuchar for like supporting the azov battalion and warmongering and stopper for supporting the alt-right or for being alt-right i wait yeah no i um I completely agree with what you just said. Um, you know, these politicians that are feeding money and weapons to Ukraine, to far right wing uh, groups. Um, we need to we need to start, you know, trying to recall these politicians. Um, We need to put something in place legally where, like, if they do not abide by the constituents who voted them in and what is actually wanted to be done, especially concerning with our fucking tax dollars, then they lose their job. A simple recall process. Like, you're not doing what we hired you to do. Get the fuck out. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, I really appreciate you guys having me on. It's good right. to be involved. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I would like to see you come back. Um, it's it's a little bit easier usually uh, with a laptop than it is with a phone. But um, okay. that being said, I, I mean, other than you, like you know, blooping out randomly, um, like I could hear you fine and everything. So you know, that's. Uh, it's not bad. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, um, you're welcome to come back anytime you want. We usually do this on Tuesday night. Um, I'm going to try to get better about, you know, like making an event like I did tonight um, and, and making sure people know about it beforehand. Um, I, haven't, I haven't been that great about it since, well, really since I moved, but I'm still you know, kind of getting in the swing of things. So, um, now I just got to build good habits. No, <laughs> anyway, um, thank you again for coming on. Um, and I appreciate the topics that you, uh, put forward for tonight too. Cause, uh, I mean, most of it was stuff that I didn't even know about or that I had overlooked. So again, appreciate it. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm definitely down to come back on. Hell yeah. Well, um, if this is the first time that you've been on the show, you probably aren't familiar with our outro music yet. <laughs> um, but me and, uh, and uh, my buddy Sterling, who also used to be on the show at one point in time, wrote this. Um, and we've just been using it as the outro music ever since because it was like 
Well, I don't want to, you know, like release it because we eventually wanted to do more to it to like finalize it. But yeah, anyway, it's not copyrighted. So we started using it for, all right. Yeah. Yeah. So we started using it for this. Jesus Christ. Now I'm tripping over my words. <laughs> all good. Cool. <clears throat> James said it's called said music. <laughs> all right. Anyway, um, hopefully. Excited, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, anyway, I hope I will see you all next Tuesday, and um, keep your eye out for the upcoming militarization of police article. That, of course, is going to be written from an abolitionist standpoint. Um. Yeah, that's all I got. All right, have a good night. Yeah, you too. Good night, everybody.